This week's episode of Carson Sack Podcast is brought to you by Zanzibar Louisville, a.k.a. Z-Bar. Z-Bar has established a local reputation as one of Louisville's oldest neighborhood gems and newest casual cuisine and live entertainment destinations. Z-Bar offers up Louisville's only vintage arcade and host weekly pinball tournaments. Sunday trivia nights are wildly entertaining and Z-Bar also serves an award-winning intimate live music venue for both local and popular national and international touring acts which grace the stage many nights every single week. Hit that ish. And sorry, I knew you guys wanted to clap, but everything I'm going to say is going to be amazing. Uh, <laughs> how do you pay, man? Uh, if you don't write checks, how do you pay these guys? Great cash, homie. Mama, there goes that man. Hello and welcome to Carson Sack Podcast where we talk balls. This is episode 55 and we have a lot to cover in this episode. We are going to recap the first week of college football, look ahead to the second week, and ladies and gentlemen, football sort of back last week, fully back this week. The NFL kicks off this Thursday, tomorrow if you're listening to this on Wednesday, and the full slate of games for Sunday as well. So I'll be previewing... That Sunday, the first slate of games, and maybe some overall previews of the NFL season. Maybe give you some division winners and Super Bowl pick, I guess, right off the bat. So just sit back, relax, strap in, because we have what looks to be, on paper, a great sack in store for you this week. First on the docket, though, we are going to talk about the first week of college football And a few things that jump right out to me. I'm just going to go through on my sheet and rattle off some things that jumped out to me in this first week. So, to begin with, we had Clemson come out on Thursday night of the opening week and handle their business like the number one team in the country should do at home against a lesser opponent. Put up 52 points to Georgia Tech's 14. Georgia Tech with that new, totally new offense that they're installing. What did concern me a little bit, and I put this concern in quotation marks because it's not extremely concerning, but you would like to see a better stat line out of a player like this. But Trevor Lawrence only threw the ball 23 times. Only completed it 13 times, but in those 13 completions, he had 168 yards, a touchdown, and two interceptions. So he's going to need to improve on that, but obviously with other players like uh, Travis Etienne, who only on 12 carries had 205 yards and three touchdowns, goes out and performs, and the defense is performing as well as as it did against Georgia Tech, then that can be overlooked, but... Trevor Lawrence obviously will perform better, but I, and probably along with the rest of Clemson fans, would have liked to have seen him perform a little bit better. Uh, Higgins for Clemson as well, their number one receiver, four receptions, 98 yards on a touchdown. So all in all, like I said, Clemson did what they were supposed to do against a lesser team like Georgia Tech in the opener. So that covers the number one team in the country. Moving on, a close game that really wasn't supposed to be close. You had Minnesota going up against South Dakota State. Minnesota looked 
shaky across the board here for much of the game and then came together in the final quarter, avoided the upset, and just need to put this in the rear view if you're P.J. Fleck and Minnesota, who I'm behind P.J. Fleck, but hearing things from other people, other sources, again, quotation marks, and rumors how he sort of is all talk and just all this motivational and can't really coach, I don't... I'm not ready to say that, but this certainly doesn't, this performance doesn't lend to the naysayers. It's, oh, he's a good coach. So moving on from that, we go to Arizona State and Kent State. Arizona State, under their second year with Herm Edwards, a lot of people may be predicting them to have a bit of saying who's going to win the Pac-12. Uh, their quarterback with uh, Daniels, their freshman quarterback, pretty good showing here, 284 yards and two touchdowns on the ground. Benjamin for them, 22 carries and 102 yards. They looked good. On Thursday night as well, Thursday or Friday night, um, you had Utah, who was 14th in the country, going to BYU, and this game was pretty close for the first half. It's apparently a rivalry game, so a lot of emotion in this game, and they both start out playing extremely well, very close in the first half, and then uh, Moss for Zach Moss for Utah just takes over the rest of the game, has 187 yards and a touchdown in the game, and then Huntley, the again, very concerning because you're going to need better play out of a quarterback to be contenders in the Pac-12. And if Utah fans are having this expectation to maybe be relevant nationally, you're going to have to have better than just 13 for 16 and 106 yards through the air. But I think that will continue to develop for Utah as well. So nothing... They handled their business, they beat BYU in the rivalry game, and they looked impressive in the second half when their defense and the ground game was clicking, so things to be optimistic about for Utah. Next, um, we look for the game on Friday night, you have Wisconsin, 19th in the country, going down to USF, who, again, last week, I'll, I'll be the first one to admit it when I said something incorrect or led you listeners astray, and I said USF was going to play this game close. I was aware that they had not done super well. They lost their last six games of last year, so they're on a six-game losing streak, but I thought Charlie Strong, it would be a new year, a new team, and he'd have things worked out, and they just didn't. And Wisconsin goes down there and routes them 49-0. And Jonathan Taylor had four touchdowns on the game, 135 yards on the ground, 48 receiving yards on only two receptions and two touchdowns. It's going to be a crime if Jonathan Taylor doesn't get invited to New York. They might need to take four guys. And I get you'll probably take Tua, you'll probably take Trevor Lawrence, and after this first game, you might take Jalen Hurts. But if Jonathan Taylor gets left out of New York for the Heisman Trophy um, ceremony, it's going to be a crime. Then we continue moving on. You have Purdue going to Nevada. And I was on Purdue in this game. I really like what they're doing, what they're building there, what uh, Jeff Brom is doing there. But Things came down in the end, and Strong, the quarterback for Nevada, the freshman, I believe, came in and saved the day for them. And then the freshman kicker, Brandon Talton, comes in and kicks 
a 56-yard game-winning field goal. Um, Rondell Moore for Purdue, though, picking right up where he left off last season. 11 receptions, 124 yards, and a touchdown. Did have a couple issues returning punts, uh, muffed a few and led to some turnovers, but Nevada, flat out, they were getting manhandled and bullied around the field and then stayed with it and came back and winds up winning a very fun game to watch. Then another game that happened this past weekend, you have Oklahoma State that went to Oregon State, and again, I'm all over Oklahoma State. I think they're going to be a lot better than what people think they're Going to be Chubba Hubbard rushed for 220 yards and three touchdowns for the Cowboys. And the redshirt freshman Spencer Saunders threw for 203 yards and three touchdowns. They played extremely well. The defense, though, is always a little concerning. But Oregon State last year was terrible. This year, I think they're going to be more competitive because of Lutton, the quarterback for Oregon State. 251 yards and three touchdowns. He played extremely well, and they were lacking a big playmaker last year. And I think they do now have that, at least with Lutton at Oregon State. So they are going to be a lot more respectable than what they were. And if Oklahoma State can find a shred of defense to even masquerade as defense in that Big 12, they might have a chance to upset some of those teams this year in the Big 12. We now get into the games that took place Saturday, August 31st, and the first one on my sheet here, you had Florida Atlantic going to the fifth-ranked Ohio State Buckeyes, and those first seven or eight minutes for Ohio State were incredible. The way they played, how fast and physical the offense was clicking, the defense looked so improved and What you wanted to see out of Ohio State, those first seven or eight minutes, putting up 28 points so quickly. They had a Justin Fields score on a 51-yard quarterback run, pretty much untouched. Justin Fields ties uh, Dwayne Haskins' record for most touchdowns accounted for in a Ohio State debut. Uh, Four through the air, one on the ground. J.K. Dobbins had a good day on the ground as well. 21 carries, 91 yards, and one touchdown. I like that usage for him. I like that he got 20-plus carries. They're working uh, Demario McCall in as well. So I like how they were able to rotate backs in and out between those two and even Master Teague, the third-string guy. Ohio State has a tough game next week, but we'll be getting to that in a little bit later on. But... You have to be encouraged if you're an Ohio State fan, but the second half and pretty much the second, third, and fourth quarter, the offensive line didn't look as impressive as it did the first quarter, and maybe it's because they got comfortable and they regressed a little bit. But all in all, as I'm saying, a very impressive to see the capability of what this offense and defense can be. Very impressive showing from Ryan Day and the coaching staff and the players that had question marks around them like Justin Fields and a couple of the linebackers and a couple of the coaches that had question marks around them like Halfley and Howie would get the secondary performing and they did well for what they're doing I understand in the second half um, FAU was able to exploit some of the issues with playing a primarily zone defense but I think Ohio State was rotating second and third string guys in, so FAU was able to take advantage of that as well. But 
again, to encompass everything I'm saying about the Ohio State game, you have to feel pretty encouraged about what they have going forward. Next game on the slate, we have Toledo, who went to Kentucky, and this game was close for about a half and a half a quarter, and then Kentucky just pulled away. Terry Wilson had 246 yards and two touchdowns. Smoke on the ground had 78 yards and a touchdown. Lynn Bowden, six receptions for 77 yards. And my big thought on this is Terry Wilson looked better, and I understand it's against Toledo, and Toledo is nothing compared to what Kentucky will face in the SEC, but seeing what Kentucky did last year, how they were able to just, their offensive line was able to impose their will and wear down defensive fronts, and then come the second half, be able to just run the ball at will. And some people might have credited some of that success to how good of a running back Benny Snell was. But then you have these guys like Smoke and Rose who come in this year and are going to try and shoulder load and be what Benny was together. There's a chance they do that, but it was super impressive to see Kentucky's O-line still be able to impose their will as the game wore on and was able to get a push and able to create running lanes for those backs and you have to be pretty encouraged as a Kentucky fan as well, seeing Terry Wilson be able to throw for 246 yards and two touchdowns. Um, Kentucky has a bit of another cupcake game this week, but things are going to be picking up pretty soon in the SEC, so that's something to keep an eye on as well. Next game was almost maybe the upset. Now, there's another one out there of an SEC team, but this was close to being one of the major upsets of the first weekend. In a three-overtime game, Iowa State squeezes by Northern Iowa. Um, Sheldon Crony Jr. scored from a yard out in triple overtime, and Iowa State was able to just narrowly get by Northern Iowa. Uh, Iowa State's quarterback, Purdy, had 278 yards and two touchdowns. Excuse me. Sorry about that. That's going to sound terrible when you're listening to this, but... Sorry. Iowa State, a lot of people saying they could make some noise in the Big 12, but if this game is any indication of that, they are going to have a bit of trouble because Northern Iowa, known for really one thing, and that's them upsetting Kansas in the college basketball tournament, not really thought of as a powerhouse or really good team ever at Northern Iowa for football, so a little concerning. The next game I'd like to look at is the team that I pegged as the best team outside of the Power Five, not UCF, Boise State. Boise State rallies from, I believe it was 17 po- 18 points in this game to beat Florida State down in Tallahassee. A lot of variables go into this game. Um, the hurricane caused it to change from a night game to a noon game, and they moved it up a day, I believe, and Boise State came out a little sluggish, a little slow, and uh, Blackman for Florida State, that quarterback they have, 327 yards and three touchdowns. He looked good. The offense looked good. Uh, Bryles' son, Kendall Bryles, I believe, is now the offensive coordinator down there, and he had that offense clicking for half, and then all of a sudden things just started clicking for Boise State and things started changing. And they've come out now and said it was because of poor hydration, which is just a total bullshit. Like, how can you be from Florida? You know the game's going to happen in Florida, and you prepare so poorly and so badly. Um, 
Mahone on the ground for Boise State played extremely well, 142 yards and two touchdowns. And then freshman quarterback uh, Bachmeyer, I believe is how you say his name, 407 yards through the air, one touchdown, one interception. I continue to say this, Boise State is going to be a good team all year long, somebody to keep an eye on as that team of the outside of the Power Five that is just going to be good and probably won't get the national respect it deserves. But either way, Boise State comes back from 18 points down to beat Florida State. Next game, you have the number two team in the country of Alabama who faced Duke in the Chick-fil-A kickoff game. Alabama wins that one 42-3. Tua Tunga, Tua does 336 yards, four touchdowns. Ford on the ground for Alabama, 64 yards and a touchdown, and they were rotating backs in and out so frequently in that game. And it is so scary and, like, mind-blowing how they just have so many good running backs and players at so many positions down at Alabama. Speaking of just good players at Alabama, Jerry Judy, 137 yards on 10 receptions and a touchdown. This, I thought this, when I watched this game, and I thought about this for a couple other teams, but to me, and I get they're playing Duke, but the skill players and the secondary and the linebackers as well for Alabama, whenever they got the ball, or were on the outside, or were chasing down someone on the outside, they just moved so fast, and so they were so physical and fluid. It just looked so easy. And like I said, I get it was against Duke, but my goodness, they're just so impressive. And I this comes from someone that really dislikes Alabama, but I am so impressed every time I do watch them. Moving on, this is what is being pegged as the upset of the first weekend in college football. You have Georgia State, who went to Tennessee and was getting paid close to a million dollars to come play this game. And they are able to upset the Volunteers at Tennessee, 38-30. Tennessee, I don't understand how you do this. I mean, Georgia State won two games last year. You're at home. It's a new day in Knoxville, and they just come out and perform so poorly. I, it's tough. It's got to be tough to try and justify this if you're a Tennessee fan. You just can't. Moving on to this is the most. When you hear these teams and you hear this score, you're gonna be like, yeah, duh. Like, of course, that's what it ended up being. Northwestern went to Stanford. Stanford wins 17-7. K.J. Costello threw a two-yard touchdown pass. Uh, Did get knocked out of the season opener, though, with a late hit. Stanford goes on to beat Northwestern 17-7, but uh, Costello hurt. Stanford had a bit of trouble replacing, what's its face, Uh, Bryce Love from last year. Neither of these two teams concern me or bother me. Like, they're just not, they're not bad, but they're not great teams either. I don't expect Stanford to stay ranked in the top 25 here much longer. So, 
It's unfortunate that Costello did get knocked out of the game because I do like what he brings to that team as the quarterback, but both those teams, some people were saying Northwestern had another chance to make it back to the Big Ten title game because their division in the Big Ten is a little weak, and some people, I mean, Stanford, you're ranked 25th in the country, you're one of the 25 best teams, and you couldn't get it done. You did get it done, but you win by 10, and that was a real backdoor cover situation there if you watched any of that. So, not impressed by either of those two teams at all. Next game that we need to talk about is Georgia going to Vanderbilt, but it was pretty much a home game for Georgia. If you looked at the stands, it was probably like 90% Georgia fans, 10% Vanderbilt fans. Georgia, their players... Pretty well from 156 yards, a touchdown. Uh, Swift on the ground, 16 carries, 147 yards. I think Swift is going to be the determinant of how far and well this team does because they're going to be able to enforce the will on teams and he'll be able to have big games. And at times there might be games where he's got to take over and really show, okay, I'm going to win us this game. And Fromm played pretty well. 30-6. to It doesn't look sexy on the scoreboard. It's a win. It's a 24-point win. I would have liked to have seen maybe some more points, but it's an SEC game. It's SEC talent. So I understand it not being a complete blowout for Georgia, and it's on the road. But you would like to see, I personally would have liked to have seen a little bit more domination. And... Georgia pretty much did dominate Vanderbilt, but it just didn't reflect on the scoreboard. Speaking of another team in the SEC that dominated, you had LSU hosting uh, Georgia Southern. The big story in this one, Joe Burrow much improved from last year, and he played pretty well all throughout last year, but 278 yards and five touchdowns through the air. So if he can continue to play as well as he does, LSU has a chance to play extremely well all year and maybe make some noise nationally for the college football playoff. The next game I'd like to talk about, another SEC team. This one took place on Saturday night where game day was. You had Oregon 11 in the country facing Auburn 16th in the country. Bo Nix, the freshman for Auburn, comes through big, rallies them down. They were down 21-6 and they pull out the win Bo Nix, 177 yards and two touchdowns. Justin Herbert, 242 yards and a touchdown for Oregon. Oregon fell apart in this one, and it really hurts me to say because I did pick them to be in my college football playoff. And if Auburn continues to play well, I I don't think this loss is going to kill Oregon's chances, but Oregon now just has to win out. And they have to win the Pac-12 if they have any glimmer and have any hope at all to make the college football playoff. Oregon's top four receivers are out, and Herbert was still able to put up 240 yards, but that one touchdown still lingers. And they really, I don't know, why, it seemed like they were just playing not to lose the last like quarter and a half, and it really showed, and it allowed Auburn to get back into the game, and Auburn was, again, in able to come back and win, and Bo Nix, the legend of Bo Nix is already beginning to grow, and it's already been just one game down at Auburn, so Auburn's a team that, to me this year, they're going to be good, but I don't think 
they're going to do anything monumental that is going to get them in the college football playoff talk. But if I am wrong, this first game is going to be a stepping stone for further things they can do this year. Um, another team in the SEC that under underperformed in the opening week. You had Mizzou go to Wyoming, and Mizzou lays an egg and gets beat 37-31. to Kelly Bryant, 423 yards and two touchdowns, did throw an interception. Wyoming was just running all over Mizzou at will. Their quarterback on the ground was dicing Mizzou terribly every time he took off, and... They had no answer for it, so a bit of concern. I was saying Mizzou might have had a chance to be 8-0 and be a factor up until that point in the SEC, but you can't even beat Mizzou, so a little questionable. Next, you have Louisiana Tech that went to Texas. Texas is back. Yep, they beat Louisiana Tech 45-14. That's all you need to know about that one. I'll read you. Uh, Ellinger stats just so we have them 276 yards through the air and four touchdowns through the air as well Washington State 23rd in the country I don't think they're getting enough love for what they are and what they have they beat New Mexico State 50 58 to 7 and then on Saturday night you had Fresno State go to USC Uh, JT Daniels is out for USC for the rest of the year. They now turn to um, another freshman quarterback that they have to replace JT Daniels with. Up until that, though, Daniels threw for 215 yards and a touchdown, did throw the interception. The big news for USC, obviously JT Daniels out, but they have uh, Veve Melarapi. Probably said that wrong. I apologize, sir. But he had 134 yards and a touchdown on 23 carries. So maybe if he can continue that production and keep that up, he might be able to slowly welcome in the new quarterback for USC. Finishing up this first week on Sunday, Houston went to Oklahoma, and this was an incredible game for the transferring Jalen Hurts from Alabama to Oklahoma through the air, 332 yards and three touchdowns on the ground, 176 yards and three touchdowns. Went and looked at it. Hurts had only thrown for more yards at Alabama in his three seasons, two seasons starting there once. And it was only by, I believe, like 40 yards against Mississippi State in 2017. And he rushed for more yards in this game than he did ever at Alabama. I don't... I guess it's because the way Lincoln Riley approaches offenses and the way he gets quarterbacks involved and playing, but that's super impressive to me. And it also makes me question... I mean, I get Tua is a great player as well, but... How can you not unlock this potential if you're at if you're Alabama? How can you not see and realize and capitalize on this potential as well? And I get he he did capitalize and play well at Alabama, but the way that in one game Lincoln Riley was able to use his arm and which was questionable is what was always questionable for him at Alabama. I mean, he threw the ball twenty three times, completed it twenty. Um, and carried the ball only 16 times for 176 yards and 
three times out of those 16, they were touchdowns. So almost on a fourth of all his carries, out of one every four carries was a touchdown for him. It just speaks volumes to how well Lincoln Riley coaches and understands offense at at least the college level and gets the most out of players. And Oklahoma's defense was thought to be improved. Still, it only gave up 31 points to a very explosive Houston team with King at quarterback. He had 170, 167 yards and two touchdowns. Also ran for 103 yards and a touchdown. So, a little encouraging for Oklahoma to be, say we only gave up 31 points. But the defense needs to continue to improve. But if that offense is running as smoothly as it did with Hurts, they're going to be able to outscore and score with anybody in the country. Moving on to the game that wrapped up this first week of college football. Last night, Monday, September 2nd, you had Notre Dame ninth in the country going to Louisville. Notre Dame wins this one 35-17. I'm going to focus more on the Louisville side of this. Louisville under Scott Satterfield, the new coach, people I think were just hoping for more effort and more consistency out of players, and they got exactly that. Louisville comes out their first two drives, two touchdowns. Juwan Pass is looking good. They're running the ball well, um, and I think Louisville's going to be able to do that and continue to have success running the ball this year because of all the misdirection and moving pieces that Satterfield has on his offense and the scheme they use to run the ball. It's very confusing for defenses, and the ACC, I get they have Georgia Tech, who for years ran that triple option, and it was all about moving pieces and diverging and look here, but the ball's actually over here. But with an offense like this that can throw the ball as well, and they can use pass in the running game, which he did. Um, he ran the ball extremely well, along with Hawkins for um, UofL, who had 122 yards. To be able to have that wrinkle and be able to run the ball well is going to help Juwan pass out immensely. So it kills me to say this, but UofL impressed me a ton. Their defense is kind of thrown together there's reports going around that they only have one guy that's over like 250 pounds on the defense and Notre Dame was able to run the ball at times at will on them so it's a bit concerning there but overall the energy Louisville played with and how well the offense looked and at times how they were able to stifle Notre Dame and be able to come up with big stops on third down was extremely encouraging Kirk Herbstreit during the game was thinking maybe a bowl game. I don't think that's realistic right now at this stage where they're at and how much they have offensive-wise and defense, how there's question marks. But definitely thinking they're going to play teams a lot closer and better than what people were predicting at the start of the year. On the opposite side of the field, you have Notre Dame who – I mean, Ian Book comes out 193 yards on a touchdown. Uh, again, the run game is what was impressive for Notre Dame. 110 yards for Jones Jr. on the ground and a touchdown. Notre Dame will be a top 25 team all year, but I don't think they're going to be a top 10 team um, 
all year. I just don't like what they have going on. Number nine for them, though, was all over the field. The defensive end and linebacker for them, he was incredible and very impressive to watch. But overall, I'm just not, was not that impressed by Notre Dame. At the end of this game, I was like, wow, I was impressed by Louisville. Notre Dame leaves a little to be desired. All right, I'm going to try and run through these games for week two a little bit quicker and just give you some prediction on these. The first one uh, I would like to talk about is ex-Ohio State head coach Luke Fickle and the Cincinnati Bearcats going to Ohio State. The game is at noon on Saturday. This is going to be a good test for Ohio State. Cincinnati is a physical team. They're able to run the ball extremely well. It'll be a good test to see how Ohio State does against a physical O-line, a team that like I said, very good at running the ball and a good test to see how that defense does. I think Ohio State offensive-wise picks right up where it left off um, last week in the first quarter, and they have a big offensive game. I think Dobbins has a big game in this game as well, and I think Ohio State does end up getting the job done. Next, a hometown team, Eastern Michigan, going to Kentucky. Kentucky, I think they get the job done as well. Look for hopefully more continued Terry Wilson improvement and continued improvement from the offensive line and the running backs, but I don't think Eastern Michigan poses a big problem here for Kentucky. Next, you have Army going to Michigan. Army struggled against Rice, and some people thought Army might offer a bit of a challenge here for Michigan, but I just don't foresee it happening. I think Michigan will be able to get out and get a big lead, and Army... The triple option just isn't built for coming from behind, and I just don't foresee Army being a big of a threat to Michigan, as people really said. This, to me, the next game I'm talking about is definitely an upset, potentially. You have Syracuse, 21st in the country, going to Maryland. Maryland offensively looked incredible last week, put up 79 points. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say Maryland is going to win this game. Uh, Jackson through the air last week for Maryland, 245 yards and four touchdowns. Uh, Funk, the running back for them last week, 79 yards on a touchdown. And Demas Jr., only three receptions last week for Maryland, 100 yards and two touchdowns. Um, Syracuse did impress me a lot against Liberty, and their offense didn't look as impressive as it could have, and they played a little bit without discipline as well. A couple just... Dumb mistakes that they did turn over the ball. I think Maryland comes out, capitalizes on maybe a few Syracuse mistakes, and they are able to secure the victory. Next, you have West Virginia going up against Missouri. I don't think Missouri is going to have the hangover from the loss last week. I think they come out ready, and Kelly Bryant has a big game, and they are able to handle uh, West Virginia. Next, you have Vanderbilt going to Purdue. Two teams that are 0-1 Purdue. I'm still riding them as well. I like Purdue in this one. I think Rondell Moore is going to have a big game. And I think um, Sindler for Purdue, the quarterback, 423 yards and four touchdowns last week, two touchdowns last week. He needs to cut back on the interceptions, obviously, but I like that what he's doing and what Purdue's doing this year, so even though they did lose the first game. So I foresee a Purdue victory another tough game here to call right off Nebraska going to Colorado Nebraska didn't look 
awfully impressive last week. And Colorado is an all-around solid team. I think going to Colorado is what's going to be the downfall here for Nebraska. If it was at Nebraska, I would take Nebraska. But I'm going to take Colorado in a bit of an upset here against Nebraska when they're on the road. Then, moving on, you have... UCF going to FAU. FAU looking to rebound against after the loss to Ohio State. I think they play UCF close, but I think ultimately in the end UCF pulls away. Another hometown team, Eastern Kentucky, goes to Louisville. I think Louisville gets the job done here, and they end up getting the first win in the Satterfield era and beats Eastern Kentucky. BYU also goes to Tennessee, and I'm all in on the Cougars for this one. Their quarterback last week against Utah had a few turnovers, few turnovers, and forced the issue a few times because they were down and they needed big plays and whatnot. But I'm all for another be another upset if you want to put that in quotation marks um, for that to happen. And Tennessee goes down to BYU. Next game, you have Texas A&M. Going to Clemson, Kellen Mond last week, uh, 194 yards and three touchdowns. I oh, I would have felt more comfortable with Texas A&M this week, but they already have players coming out saying there's going to be an upset, and I think that's the last thing they needed to do. So I'm going to take Clemson in this one in a close game for a little bit, but then Clemson just overpowers them and imposes their will and does what Clemson has just been doing so much recently and takes over. Now, this next game is the game of the week and I think has the chance to be a game of a year. You have LSU going to Texas. I'm going to take Texas in this one. I think Sam Ellinger is going to be able to do what he did against Georgia to LSU and I think it being at Texas helps so much. And this is really the game of two teams where it's like, are they actually for real? And I think whoever wins this is going to vault into maybe the top four and are going to have so much expectations the rest of the year. Um, but ultimately, I think Texas... the D- LSU's defense is better than Texas's, but Texas's offense to me is better than LSU's. And if Joe Burrow plays like he did last week, holy shit, this LSU team is going to be dangerous. But I think it was a product of them playing Georgia Southern, a lesser team, but Burrow did look good. I'm excited to watch this one, but ultimately in the end, I think Texas is going to win this game. And then that... Yeah, that's it. I mean, Stanford goes to USC. Both of these, that's just going to be a really shitty game. Both of those teams lost their quarterback, so not something I'm really super excited to watch. Nevada goes to Oregon. Oregon is going to have to play well after and try and rebound from the loss they took to Auburn in the first week, and I think they do do that. But if you told me I could only watch three games this week, it would be Cincinnati at Ohio State, because I think that'll be a good game and it'll be good to see. And then the Clemson Texas A&M game and the um, LSU Texas game. And the upsets I had this week uh, Colorado beating Nebraska. Uh, 
who else? Maryland beating Syracuse, and then if you want to call it an upset, um, who else was I looking at? BYU over Tennessee. We now shift our focus to the guys that are getting paid to play this game of football, at least legally getting paid, to the NFL. And I'm not going to go through and talk about offseason storylines as a whole. I'm just going to go through the games this opening week and talk about them then when their team comes up, if there were any offseason news. So to get things started, on Thursday, September 5th, you have the Packers going to the Bears. The Packers with new head coach, uh, LaFleur. It's going to be interesting to see how he and Aaron Rodgers get along. But the Packers have a ton of talent on the offensive side. It's going to be imperative for their O-line to continue to improve. Um, Aaron Jones looks to be the guy there at running back who can finally and for so long be able to take some pressure off of Aaron Rodgers and have a running game. But even without it, Aaron Rodgers is still able to to play extremely well at the quarterback position. Um, Devontae Adams is one of the best receivers in all of the NFL. So if the Packers' defense continues to play well like it did a little bit last year and an O-line presence can be felt by the Packers, they're going to have their say in who wins the NFC North. On the opposite side, the Bears, Mitchell Trubisky, if he continues on his ascent, and improving like he did last year with uh, Nagy as a head coach there. And they get rid of Jordan Howard, but they bring in... um, Shit, I forget who they brought in. Mike Davis. Mike Davis at running back. And um, Montgomery as well through the draft. And Treat Cohen at running back. And all the gadgets they have there as well. And the defense is so solid with Mack and the rest of the guys they have around him. And again... Trubisky, if he continues to improve, the Bears are going to be good for an extremely long time. In this one, I'm going to take the Bears, and it's strictly just because it's at Chicago, and I just think there'll be some growing pains potentially with LaFleur and that new offense that the Packers are going to run, and I think it might show in this game, but it's nothing cause or concern for the Packers throughout the rest of this year. Next, we go to the Sunday games. The Titans go to the Browns. The Browns have been the offseason story pretty much all year. Bring in Odell, bring in Kareem Hunt. You reunite reunite Odell and Jarvis Landry, who were teammates at LSU and were prolific down there. What Odell brings to this offense is so... So many intangibles and provides a top five receiver to Baker Mayfield, who 27 touchdowns last year, um, the rookie record touchdown record that he was responsible for. The run game with Nick Chubb is still there. The defense is the have Denzel Ward, you draft Greedy Williams, you sign Olivier Vernon, uh, Richardson. You have Miles Garrett as well already. There's so much to like about this Browns team, and it's hard to get. It's easy to get too optimistic, and hard to not sort of keep realistic expectations because they still are the Browns, and they do have a rookie head coach with Freddie Kitchens, who I understand he did take over for Q last season, and they played extremely well with him. 
as their head coach and their offense did well. Excuse me, Greg Williams took over and Kitchens was in charge of the offense and they played extremely well on offense. That's the only thing that bothers me and concerns me a little bit is how he is going to maybe be a coach. But if he stays out of the way and just doesn't cause issues, this Browns team has a ton of opportunities to be relevant in the AFC, um, not only AFC North, but the entire AFC. The Titans, uh, it's really this year for Marcus Mariota where I think you got to move on. Um, when he's healthy, he's extremely good, but he hasn't been healthy the past couple of years, and it's frustrating. Um, the O-line is always good. Derrick Henry will be a good back for him. That defense, uh, Bird at safety or corner, whatever he plays, is one of the be- better underrated players at his position and maybe in the NFL, but it's got to be frustrating to have Meredith with somebody with so much talent and potential and continuously just gets hurt and isn't there. Next year, the Steelers and the Patriots, they are the Sunday night game. Um, the Steelers without Antonio Brown are going to need another guy to step up. They signed Dante Moncrief. He's been running with the ones as the number two, but James Washington, the second-year guy out of Oklahoma State, I think he's going to be the number two by the end of the year. He's shown some flashes and shown that he's been getting on the same page with Ben Rossberger a little bit in the in the preseason, so that's going to be extremely important. Uh, James Conner, he's still going to be a great running back for them. If Devin Bush turns out to be what they think he's going to be. That defense is going to be extremely good as well. Um, they're also going to have a lot to say about who wins the AFC North. And then the Patriots. The Patriots are what they are. They're just so good. Josh Gordon comes back. He adds another dynamic to that team. The running game with Sonny Michelle, James White, that's always going to be there. Tom Brady's still going to be so good. The only thing that concerns me is the loss of their center, but... They made some trades to bolster that offensive line, and so I have nothing but full confidence again in the Patriots and to be factors in the entire AFC picture. Next, you have the Ravens at the Dolphins. The Ravens, again, retooling that offense to go around what Lamar Jackson does as well. They lost some pieces on defense, but bring in Earl Thomas. I think this Raven team is going to be good, but I think the defense is going to be less than what it was the past couple years, and that's going to affect them being able to compete in the AFC North and for a wild card. They'll be in the race, but I don't think they're going to end up making the playoffs. And then the Ra- the Dolphins are just on pace to be the worst team, one of the worst teams in the NFL. So that's all I need to say about that. Next, you have the Falcons at the Vikings. The Falcons... Again, so much potential on offense with Julio and Kelvin Ridley in his second year. Matt Ryan, uh, they get back Freeman, who was out much of last year with an injury. They lose Tevin Coleman, but they have Ito, Ito Smith, backup running back for Freeman, who is going to be able to spell him. The defense has been trying to improve, which has always been a bit of a question mark for Atlanta. Um, I like what they have. The Vikings... I just still I find it very hard for me to get behind Kirk Cousins when he hasn't shown he's not worth the money they gave him and it sucks because you have Diggs and you have Thielen and you have Dalvin Cook and you have a solid defense every year but it's just hard to make that next jump with Kirk Cousins as your quarterback. 
Um, in this game, I've failed to be giving you picks besides the Packers-Bears. I'm going to go Browns over the Titans. I'm going to go Patriots over the Steelers. I'm going to go Ravens over the Dolphins. And I'm going to go Falcons over the Vikings. Next, you have the Bills at the Jets. I think Josh Allen for the Bills is going to have a progressive year sort of to what linked to what Trubisky had last year. Maybe not as prolific and certainly not team-wise getting them into the playoffs. I don't think the Bills make the playoffs at all. But they have a few building blocks with Singletary, the running back there um, from FAU last year, who's going to be a do-it-all type guy there for them. And Josh Allen, I speaking of how well he's going to improve, I like what the Bills have going forward, but look to, for them to be competitive in games this year, but not to win a ton of them, but encouraging future and a building block year for them. The Jets... I think they're in the same boat. I think Sam Darnold takes a big leap forward as well. And Le'Veon Bell coming back to them um, after seeing out all of last year. Some people are saying he's going to be rusty and it'll be challenging. But I think maybe taking that year off and not taking those hits and just still staying in shape, that could be good for him. And he could come back and be like re-energized and rejuvenated and all this other stuff. So that's something to keep on. Their defense, not that great. Um, do have Adams though, this guy from LSU who is one of the best at his position in the NFL. But after that, it does get a bit hazy on where um, playmakers and big time players for them are going to step on defense. But um, if Darnold and Le'Veon and the rest of that offense can click, and I know their offensive line um, is questionable as well, but overall, I like what they got for pieces looking to the future in this i'm going to take the jets over the bills in this first week matchup next game you have the redskins at the eagles i think the eagles win this one carson wentz come back fully healthy um they signed jordan howard in the offseason they return a lot of guys they get back to sean jackson i like what they got um Simple as that. On the opposite side of the field, the Redskins, you get Geis back after missing all of his rookie year. So technically, this is his rookie year. Case Keenum, you're just not going to be competitive and win many games. I understand there was that one year in Minnesota, but Case Keenum, I just don't fuck with Case Keenum as my quarterback. Sooner or later, Dwayne Haskins will come in and hopefully be able to show why he was considered maybe the first potential quarterback in this draft besides Kyler Murray um shout out Terry McLaurin though he's getting the start at receiver in this game uh, but I don't think the Redskins are going to pose much of a threat this year at all especially in this game against the Eagles next you have the Rams going to the Panthers the Rams coming off of losing the Super Bowl last year um Todd Gurley's knee is always going to be in question now, I guess. If he stays healthy, that Rams team is going to be dominant again. I mean, you have Aaron Donaldson. The rest of that defense is back as well, playing. They're probably going to play extremely well. They get Cooper Cup back to help that receiving core of Cooks and Woods and him now. The Panthers, Cam Newton uh, has to develop a new throwing motion, which he's been doing. Christian McCaffrey is always going to be a threat there. Curtis Samuel is also picked up and apparently is showing 
uh, flashes of what he did at Ohio State and being a good receiver and a big playmaker. And this one, I just like the Rams. Next, you have the Chiefs going up against the Jaguars. The Jaguars getting Nick Foles, hopefully helping the passing game and taking some pressure off the run game. The Jaguars still have a great defense. The Chiefs, they lose Kareem Hunt, but Damian Williams, when he came in last year, when Kareem Hunt was suspended, um, played extremely well. They signed Sean McCoy. They Through all the issues that Tyreek Hill had this offseason with the child abuse things, he's still back and he's still an explosive player. Mahomes is still there and is going to be explosive. It's hard for me to pick against the Chiefs in this one. I think it'll be close. I like the Jaguars, what they have this year and what they're going to be able to do, but I think going up against the Chiefs, who probably have that or the Rams, have probably the most explosive offense in the NFL. It's hard, so I'm going to take the Chiefs. Next, you have the Colts going up against the Chargers. As I said last week, my thoughts on Andrew Luck. Um, Go listen to that if you want that. Uh, They now head in there with Jacoby Brissett, who just signed a two-year, $20 million deal. Going up against the Chargers without Melvin Gordon, who is, I think, should be paid because he can do everything. He runs extremely well, catches the ball out of the backfield extremely well. I think they should pay him. I get he's a little older, but he's earned the money. He's done everything they've wanted and need to do and hasn't been a locker room problem or anything like that. I would pay him, but I'm going to take the Chargers in this one just because I think they have... I think Brissett is going to not lose them the game, but I don't think he's going to make the plays for them to win the game. I'm going to take the Chargers. Next, you have the Bengals going to the Seahawks. Bengals without A.J. Green for at least a couple weeks. Um, Zach Taylor, the new coach for them. Mixon is still there. I think there's going to be a lot of growing pains for them this year. I don't think they're going to be that good of a team, but they'll be okay for years to come. I understand fans want them to get rid of Andy Dalton, but he's a good NFL quarterback, a top 15 to 12 NFL quarterback every year. Um, Maybe not stats-wise, but, I mean, he was able to win games and get them to the playoffs. Wasn't able to win games in the playoff, but able to get them there under Marvin Jones, and that's saying a lot because Marvin Jones, questionable how he coaches. The Seahawks, without... Some key wide receivers, I mean, Metcalf is out, Moore is out for them. Russell Wilson is just pretty much going to be thrown to Lockett and a couple other guys until they get back. Um, they trade for Javion Clowney, Jadavion Clowney. He's going to be incredible for that defense. Um, Chris Carson is back as well. He had a great sort of a breakout year last year for them. Russell Wilson is going to be Russell Wilson. I like the Seahawks a lot this year in the NFC, and I like them a lot in this game to beat the Bengals. Next game, you have the Giants going to the Cowboys, and everything about the Cowboys this year, this offseason, has been about re-signing Zeke. I think they're going to do that. Their defense has improved. The O-line is good. They have Amari Cooper and Gallup. Gallup is going to have, I think, a very good breakout year sort of at the wide receiver position. I like what the Cowboys have. The Giants have to move on from Elon Man at some point. I don't agree with the Daniel Jones pick, but throughout preseason, he's shown he's good. It sucks that Saquon Barkley is going to face at least the first couple years of his NFL career on a shitty team. Um, but the Cowboys, I think, are the team to beat in the NFC East, and I think they beat the Giants in this one. You have the Lions going to the Cardinals. I think both these teams aren't anything to be 
worried about in your divisions at all, but it'll be interesting to see how Kyler Murray does. Um, in this one, I'm going to take the Lions over the Cardinals. And how can Cliff Kingsbury be able to hopefully translate some of his thoughts to the NFL, but throughout the preseason, it does not seem like that's happening much. But it could be because he wants to save it for the regular season, which I totally understand. But in this one, I want to date the Lions or the Cardinals. Next, you have the 49ers with the Buccaneers. Bruce Arians is now the head coach down at Tampa Bay. If he can get Jameis Winston to reach his potential and cut down on the turnovers and the Buccaneers can find a running game. The defense is solid enough where they can maybe have a bit of say in the NFC South, maybe a wild card. The 49ers with Shanahan there on offense now, uh, they get Jimmy G back for hopefully a full season. Uh, Kittle to build on Godwin at receiver, uh, Jarek McKinnon is out again for a full year at running back, but they bring in Tevin Coleman and uh, Matt Britta as well. So a lot to like there. They draft Nick Bosa in the draft. So, again, a lot to like there if you are a 49ers fan. In this one, I'm going to actually take the 49ers over the Buccaneers. Then on Monday night, you have the Texans going to the Saints. The Texans without Lamar Miller. They bring in Carlos Hyde, and they have Duke Johnson. I think that will be fine because everybody knows down there it is the DeAndre Hopkins and Deshaun Watson show and J.J. Watt on defense. They'll be right up there with the Jaguars to contend for the AFC South and along with the Colts as well because I think they have the best defense. Um, Not the best defense in that division because of the Jaguars, but a great defense in that division. So... That's something to keep an eye on. And then the Saints probably should have played in the NFC Championship game last year, over uh, the Super Bowl, excuse me, over the Rams. But they just, I think, I mean, what don't you like about the Saints? It's pretty much the same team, same everything. They bring in Latavius Murray, get rid of Mark Ingram. That's sort of a trade-off, one and two. And then <clears throat> they bring in Jared Cook at tight end, which they haven't had an explosive tight end there since Jimmy Graham. And Drew Brees can make... Okay, tight ends look spectacular, and Jared Cook is anything but an okay tight end. He's a very, very good tight end. So that'll be um, very, impre- very probably impressive connection to monitor and watch out the year. Michael Thomas gets his contract in the offseason, signs him, so he'll be happy and he'll have probably have a good year. I look for the Saints at, uh, in New Orleans opening night Monday night. I think that's a little overwhelming for the Texans and the Saints get it done on Monday night. And then, to close out the first week of the NFL season, you have the Broncos and the Raiders. The Raiders acquiring Antonio Brown this offseason, who his feet and his helmet have been more of the discussion than his play. Um, Derek Carr is still there. It's going to be interesting to see how him and Gruden get along in the second year. It I've been watching Hard Knocks all year, and it it's so painful watching those two interact because it's like Gruden is the cool guy in high school and Derek Carr is like the friend that he's had for a while and they sort of grown apart but he's still around and Gruden still feels like he has to be nice to him and include him in things and talk to him and everything and Derek Carr is just so fucking awkward and so uncool and Gruden is so cool it's painful but they have him they have Josh Jacobs as well, the exciting rookie running back out of Alabama. Uh, with Antonio Brown, the defense looks to be okay. 
I don't think they're going to have a great year, but I definitely think they'll have a better year than last year. And then the Broncos, the running game is still there with Lindsey. Um, Emmanuel Sanders coming back from injury at 32. He's looked good in the preseason. You get Joe Flacco, who I still think has some good years left in him. Uh, Von Miller is still there on the defensive side of the ball, and he's dangerous as well. Broncos are going to be the better team this year than the Raiders. I don't know if they're going to make the playoffs, but I think they will be competitive in this game and then throughout the year. So I'm going to take the Broncos over the Raiders. Now I'm going to give you some predictions for the playoffs. In the AFC, I have the Browns winning the North. I have the Jaguars winning the South. I have the Patriots once again winning the AFC East. The Chiefs are going to win the AFC West. And the wild cards are going to be the Steelers and the Ravens. And how shitty do you have to feel if you're a Bengals fan? Where if this prediction comes true, the AFC North is going to have three out of their four teams into the playoffs. In the NFC, I have the Bears winning the North. I have the Saints winning the South. The Cowboys winning the NFC East. The Rams winning the West. The Packers in a wild card, and the Seahawks in a wild card. And then meeting in the Super Bowl, I am going to take the Chiefs and the Saints, and I am going to have the Saints ending up winning, and I think Drew Brees retires after this year and goes off into the sunset, and that is the career for Drew Brees. He ends on a Super Bowl beating the Chiefs. All right, that does it for episode 55 of Carson Sack Podcast. I appreciate you listening. Like, rate, review, subscribe, all that good shit on iTunes. I will be back next week, and we will have listener questions, so check for that on my Instagram and Snapchat story. I want to thank you once again for listening. I really appreciate it. I'm excited for this year of football and the other sports that I get to talk about on here. So thank you for the support, the outreach and the um, interactions I had on Twitter for this were amazing so thank you all for doing that if you like the tweet or retweeted the tweet it means a lot to me and it means a lot that you listen and care enough to do that so thank you so much um, we'll be back next week I will see you all then and as we always end here on Carson Zach podcast where we talk balls we will be seen.